This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. I'm your host for today's show, Alan Patak of Marytown, the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby in Libertyville, Illinois. And with me today is Russ Brialt, president and founder of the Shroud of Turin Education Project. Uh, Russ has uh, been researching the Shroud of Turin for over 30 years, and he's a highly acclaimed uh, presenter. Uh, welcome to the Spotlight Show, Russ. Well, thank you, Alan. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, it, Russ, you know, today I would say that most people seem to have heard of the Shroud of Turin, but uh, not too many people know that much about it, actually. They hear about it a lot uh, via the media. Uh, just briefly, Russ, would you give us an idea of what is the Shroud of Turin and why is it so significant to our lives? Well, the Shroud is a 14-foot-long linen cloth that's in Turin, Italy. This is why it's called the Shroud of Turin. And it's been there for uh, close to 500 years. And it and it bears the, the, the faint front and back image of a, of a bearded, crucified man. Beers will be about five foot ten in um, in height, and he bears all of the all of the wounds uh, that happened to Jesus, uh, starting with a, a crown of thorns and scourging all over the back, and uh, there wounds in the wrist and the feet, uh, wound in the side, um, and so and, and the legs are not broken. So everything wound wise appears to be consistent with what we read in the in the gospel account. And interestingly, it's the most analyzed artifact in the world. It's been subjected to thousands of hours of, of analysis. And yet, it remains a mystery. As the blood stains appear to be actual blood from actual wounds, and yet the image of the man uh, remains totally inexplicable. We just can't explain it. And so that image, uh, the, the mystery, is essentially... How, how how that image got on the shroud and how that that image is essentially the mystery itself, isn't it? Isn't it, would you say that's the most compelling attribute of the shroud is is the fact that there's this image on it that uh, seems to be inexplicable as to how it was was put there? Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean the the fact that there's that there's no you see here's the alternative. It either is the authentic burial shroud of Jesus or it's not. And if it's not, then it must be the work of some artist who who crafted this image using some some kind of process or some substances of, of some kind. And yet, it's very clear that there is no visible trace of any kind of paint, ink, dye, pigmentation, stain. There are no substances on the cloth that were used by an alleged artist to craft this image. And the blood is not paint. It's not animal blood. It's actual... Uh, b- blood from from actual wounds, human male DNA. We found that out in 1995, and so the, and so and I think the most compelling attribute of the of the image, you know, if you if your audience was to Google the shroud right now, if they have a picture of it, yeah. the 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 thing that you'll see first, very prominently, is this pattern of of burns and patches from a fire in 1532. So the image kind of lies between a, a kind of a, kind of like two parallel lines, which are nothing more than burns and scorches and patches. And then, um, and then it was doused with water. So you have a pattern of water stains on, on there. And then, of course, you have a pattern of blood stains. Now, if you were to flip the cloth over, you would see the burns. 
Mm-hmm. You would see the water stain. You'd see the blood stain. But you would not see the image of the man. The image of the man is a purely superficial phenomenon affecting only the, the top one to two microfibers of the cloth. Now, bear in mind that an individual thread is made up of about 200 microfibers. So this image resides on less than 1% of a single thread. If you were to take a razor blade and shave the surface of the cloth, that image would be gone. And so this is one of the most astonishing attributes of the shroud is just how superficial the image itself is. Whereas the blood soaks all the way through the cloth, the image doesn't. It resides only on the top one to two microfibers. And so now you have to ask, you, ask yourself, well, what, what kind of medieval artistic process is this? Right. Because, we've, because we've never encountered it. And, and, and medieval uh, artists of the time, it, it, it's not the kind of thing that we could just easily duplicate today ourselves, is it? Let alone to think about how a medieval artist would have ever produced something that's, as you say, uh, a, a, only a couple microns. Uh, in terms of depth. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, back in the Middle Ages, you, you don't think, of, I, I think someone who was trying to come up with some kind of, uh, some kind of fraud or something to, uh, to, you know, pass it off as some, as some bogus relic, um, wouldn't, wouldn't have to go through this much effort in, in order to kind of, you know, uh, trick the, uh, the, uh, medieval mind. Um, the fact that the, the, the fact that this that this still <laughs> uh, perplexes 20th and 21st century science is is, is really a- astonishing. Because as I always say, you know, if this thing was the work of an artist, we would have figured that out a hundred years ago. Exactly. I mean, all you need is a magnifying glass to see whether there's any paint on there, and there's not. You know, I mean, so so some so it, it, and the fact that it remains a mystery. After all this science, it, it, that in and of itself kind of speaks to saying, "Gee, maybe this thing's authentic." Well, and, and that's what's what's interesting. Uh, I just uh, don't want to take a lot of time on it, but we all heard, you know, years ago they did a carbon testing, and then they said, "Whoa!" They came out and announced in all the media that the shroud of Turin was a fake because it was it, it, the the dating on it did not go back to the time of Jesus. But then there was this great controversy on that uh, carbon dating. Can you briefly explain to the audience uh, why that carbon dating was so controversial and why so many scientists themselves are throwing it out saying that that's inappropriate what they what they did with the carbon dating? Yeah, well, the first and foremost, they violated the sampling protocol, um, which was that they were they were supposed to cut three different samples from three different locations on the cloth, and they didn't do that. They cut one sample from the outside corner edge, exactly where it had been held and handled hundreds of times over the centuries, and they cut that one sample into three little sections. And as I always ask audiences, how many of you know that cutting one sample into three pieces is not the same as taking three samples? Exactly. And so, and so if we have a problem with that corner, then we have nothing else to compare it against because we only took one sample. And so, and so now it appears, based on some chemical research that was published in a peer-reviewed journal in 2005, that that corner uh, may have been subjected to some kind of a medieval reweave of some kind 
because uh, because there's there's cotton mixed in that corner. There's no cotton anywhere else on the shroud, but there's cotton in that corner. There appears to be a matter root dye on the surface of the thread in that corner, but there's no dye anywhere else on the shroud. And so it, it and so it, it lends reason to believe that perhaps that cloth was repaired or 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 rewoven at some time and somehow just tricked those people that were taking the sample that said, yeah, looks like the job to me. Let's go ahead and cut right there. And but they but they but they failed to be to do careful analysis to make sure that it was fully representative of the entire cloth. So that's probably the the best explanation right now. And it's um, because because clearly to glibly say, ah, it's the work of a medieval artist, it's just not enough. Because, because okay, you can, uh, you can attribute it to a, a medieval artist if you want to, but I'd like to know how he did it. Mm -hmm. and it's certainly not attributed to anybody. No one, is, no one is, has, has claimed any credit for having done it. And so I, I, everything we can see, the, the evidence of pollen, the evidence of limestone particles, um, the, everything suggests that this cloth originated in the Holy Land. And this is one of the most uh, scientifically studied uh, artifacts of our day, is it not? As you say, in terms of with all of our scientific methodology that we have today and uh, uh, the, the wonderful advances we have in science, if scientists today could not reproduce it and cannot say specifically with a, a high degree of authenticity that they know exactly how it was produced, uh, that lends itself to the idea of getting into the faith matters, doesn't it, a little bit? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you, you know we 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 can't reproduce it. Uh, you know, one of the things that is almost impossible to reproduce is the fact that is the fact that the whole order of events is that we have a pattern of blood stains, but there's no image under the blood, which tells us that the that that the blood got on the cloth first, followed by the image, and so it's like. Well, when did the image get there? Well, maybe three days later. All we know is that the image came later, which tells you, which kind of makes sense if it's authentic. Good Friday followed by Easter Sunday. But now, if you're an artist, try to try to try to replicate that. Go ahead and get a get a 14 foot long linen cloth, put all your blood stains on first, and then try to craft your image around it. It's impossible. Yes. And Russ, from all your study in your own uh, personal, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, in, intrigue of the uh, this wonderful uh, artifact, the Shroud of Trin, what's your personal take on what you believe would have created that image? Well, you know, I'm always saying that, you know, just to just to not be overly dogmatic, that I say I'm 90% certain it's authentic. Sure, okay, fine. I'll give 10% of the possibility mm -hmm. that there's some medieval artist out there who predated Leonardo by several hundred years. We don't know who he is. We don't know how he did it. Never did anything else. And, you know, I sure, okay, I'll give 5 or 10% to, to that possibility. But I don't, but, you know, clearly to me, uh, everything... Everything says that it's authentic. As far as how, as far as what caused the image, I think it's light. And we've looked at all, because direct contact with a corpse only explains the blood. It does not explain the image. Mm -hmm. And so the so researchers have been looking for 
other explanations, some kind of radiant energy mechanism of some kind. And we've looked at radiation. We looked at heat. We've looked at light. Light is it because because they did uh, they did uh, test in 2011 researchers in uh, with the Italian Agency for New Technology experimenting with with high energy eczema lasers ultraviolet lasers they determined that a 40 nanosecond burst on a control sample of linen achieves the very same depth and coloration that we see on this route and I'm oh. saying now that cool yeah a 40 nanosecond burst on an ultraviolet laser and so but that makes sense because probably the best explanation for what happened to jesus in the tomb comes from the apostle paul who writes in first corinthians 15 and in this particular passage he's not even talking about jesus he's talking about you and me he's talking about a future event and he says behold i show you a mystery we will not all sleep or to remain dead, but we will all be changed. How? In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. He's talking about an instantaneous transformational event in the future. Hasn't even happened yet. Yet that's exactly what happened to Jesus in the tomb. This is fascinating, Russ. Fascinating. Well, we'll have more of our intriguing interview here with Russ Bialt. Still more to come. But for right now, we have to take just a short break. You're listening to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Our guest on this episode of Spotlight is Russ Pialt, president and founder of the Shroud of Turin Education Project. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services are not available in all states. Lord, set aflame my heart and my entire being with the fire of the Holy Spirit, that I may serve you with a chaste body and a pure mind. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. O my God, relying on your almighty power and infinite mercy and promises, I hope to obtain pardon for my sins, the help of your grace, and life everlasting. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Mary 
Morningtown in Libertyville, Illinois, presents a Shroud of Turin event on Saturday, April 15th. You'll be amazed to view a lifelike replica of the Shroud, as expert Rush Brialf presents the latest research on the mystery of the sacred relic many believe is the burial cloth of Jesus. The cost is $25 and includes lunch. Don't miss this incredible event, April 15th, 10 a.m. at Marytown in Libertyville. Register before April 7th at marytown.com or call 847-367-7800. Welcome back to this episode of Spotlight on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. With us today is uh, Russ Prialt, and we are talking about the Shroud of Turin. Uh, as we heard in that uh, little spot before we came back, Russ, uh, you will be coming to Marytown in Libertyville, Illinois, April 15th, and we'll talk more about that towards the end of the show. But as we went to break, you were mentioning about uh, some theories behind how the image could have gotten on the Shroud, and it was fascinating to hear you talk about a burst of light, a burst of energy that would have lasted only, four, as you said, four nanoseconds. Uh, why don't you explain to our audience what that means by a nanosecond, number one, and, and number two is a little bit more about that burst of energy. Well, it, it, the, uh, the research says that about a 40 nanosecond burst, now a nanosecond is a billionth of a second. So this is only 40 nanoseconds. So this is, I mean, you can't even blink your eye that fast. And, and so this is just a microburst, an instantaneous flash, if you will. And so, and so I, I always ask people, okay, in other words, when you, when you read the scriptures, you realize that, that every miracle Jesus did had eyewitnesses, everything, except for the resurrection. You know, maybe because it was behind a stone, it was rolling, you know, this, but, yeah. but, you know, so if you ask the question of what happened to Jesus in the tomb, we don't have any direct eyewitness account of that. So you have to kind of, you know, look at other verses of Scripture to kind of answer that question. And fortunately, the Scripture does give us some good clues. And the, and the, the first one would be, would be the angel in the Gospel of Matthew that, that appears like lightning, brilliant, light, bright light, right? Then how is Jesus he, on, the, on, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is about six months before Jesus is even crucified. Jesus goes up to the top of a high hill. Peter, James, and John are down at the, at the bottom. And the scripture says, He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun itself, and His clothing became dazzling light. So Jesus, literally, He is described as a being of light before the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then how is He... And then, and then, and then Paul re- recounts His experience in the, on, on the road to Damascus, in the um, in the book of Acts, this is about four or five years after the crucifixion, that Jesus shows up in a blinding flash of light, so bright that Paul's blind or Saul at this point, he's blinded, thrown down to the ground, and it says, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and so he was blinded for three days after this event. So if you do just a straight Bible study and ask this question, what happened to Jesus the very split second, his soul came zooming back into that lifeless body, I think you'd have to assume that there was an explosion of light and then gone. I mean, it's perfectly consistent with what we see in the scripture, and that's exactly what this latest research shows in the whole 40 40 nanosecond burst. Because remember, Peter, you know, when you look at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb on Sunday morning. 
sees that the stone is rolled aside from the entrance. Yeah. She doesn't go inside. She just sees that the, that, the, that the body's gone, runs to find Simon Peter and John, and says, someone has taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. So she thinks the body's been taken or stolen, right? Peter and John run back down to the tomb. Now, they just don't peek inside. They actually they stoop down go inside that tomb. And what does the scripture say? They saw the linen cloth lying there and believed. Believed what? Well, believed that he had risen. I mean, so obviously something about the cloth lying there became the very first piece of evidence that Jesus had risen from the, the dead. Because as I always explain to audiences, you know, what did they see that Mary didn't see? Yes, and they and were the first eyewitnesses at that point, right. Yes, exactly. Obviously, something specifically related to the shroud itself. Now, now, and, and so I think, um, now I, I personally, I, you know, because the alternative is that the body was stolen, right? Yeah. And so, if you know, had the body been stolen, as they said, then I think you'd either seen, one, that cloth ball up and thrown into a corner, or more likely than not, why would you unwrap a corpse? Wouldn't you just take the whole thing and run? And so Peter and John got to the tomb, they, they would have seen nothing. And so, and so I think the first thing they saw was that cloth laid out on the stone sepulcher, like a stone slab in the back of the tomb. Mm -hmm. And that cloth is lying there exactly the way it was put there on Friday, undisturbed, except the body's gone. You see, that might make you think something weird had happened. You see, we have the advantage of, you know, this is the, this is the 50th year, the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, yeah. was this like a beam me up Scotty moment? I mean, it's, um, I mean, so, so obviously, I think that's the first thing they saw. Yeah. However, you know, as I, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I, as I explain to the audience, I, I, I tell them, I said, now listen, you know, the scripture tells us a lot, but it doesn't tell us everything. And, and certainly what is, what is not in scripture is any reference to images on Jesus' linen shroud. Yeah. So that's kind of a problem if you're building a case for the possible authenticity of the shroud. So now we have to ask a different question. And here's the question. How far back in time does the idea or the concept of Jesus' image on his linen shroud, how far back in time does this go? Now, there is a, there was a translation of this scripture, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9, goes all the way back to the 6th century, and, it, and, it's, um, and here's how they translate it. It says, Peter and John ran to the tomb and saw the recent imprint of the dead and risen man on the linen. Oh, my goodness. There's a reference that's to it. Not, yeah, that's not in scripture, but it's 1,500 years old. Does it go all the way back to the first century? I don't know. All I know is that the first piece of evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead is specifically related to the burial shroud. Yeah, so all of this, as, as you're describing it, uh, it, you know, it kind of gets to the point where it, it seems like it takes more faith not to believe that the shroud is something miraculous having to do with the resurrection than to believe that it is. What would you say to people who say, well, you know what, I have my own faith. The shroud's not necessary for my faith. Uh, what do you say to people who say that the shroud's not important to them for their faith? 
I say, I say exactly what Jesus would have said. Blessed are you who believe and have not seen. I mean, that's just fantastic that, that people, that certain people don't need the shroud for their faith. I don't need the shroud for my faith either, you know, but I do believe, I, I think the whole message of the shroud is wrapped up in doubting Thomas. Because when you think of Thomas here, I mean, here he was, when Jesus showed up, Sunday night, the very same day as the resurrection, Thomas was not there. And yet the scripture's clear that, that Jesus didn't, didn't, he just manifests in the upper room. He doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't climb in the window. He just right. appears. And all the, all the apostles and everyone who was there runs up to him. And they, and the, and the, and the scripture tells you that they, that they, that they touched him. He was fully physical. They broke bread and they talked about the kingdom probably for hours. And then Jesus leaves the same way he came. Now, Thomas, we don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. Now, can you imagine the scene when Thomas finally comes back, either that night or the following day? Everyone must have run up to him and says, Thomas, it's true. He was here. He is alive. Mm -hmm. We touched him. We broke bread. He talked about the kingdom. It was amazing. And it's like, where were you? And, you know, you can imagine Thomas, his, his own words were, I, I cannot believe. No, no, I can't. Not until I thrust my hand into his side and place my fingers into his nail wound. So he, 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 just, he just refuses to believe despite the testimony of all of his best friends. And so, and so a week later, Jesus appears again in the upper room. And the first person Jesus speaks to is Thomas. And he says, Thomas, come here. And you can imagine Thomas falling at Jesus' feet. And Jesus repeats his own words back to him and says, Thomas, thrust your hand into my side and place your fingers into my nail wounds and be not faithless, but believe. Now, at this point, forever known as doubting Thomas, he now makes the strongest profession of faith in the entire New Testament. He says, my Lord and my God. But he couldn't do it, wouldn't do it, was unable to do it until he was face to face with the resurrected Christ for himself. Yes. That's the message of the shroud. Because you see, I've wondered for years, you know, why has God preserved it over the course of the 20, over all these centuries, revealed it through science during the 21st, I mean, during the 20th century. And now here we are in the 21st century. We communicate more with images than we do with words. And so exactly. it makes me wonder whether it was preserved for this time in human history. And so that's the message of Doubting Thomas. So for all those who don't need the shroud for your faith, that's fantastic. But God in his mercy has allowed the shroud to exist for those who need a little push. <laughs> you know, I have, I, I have to remind my evangelical friends who say, well, you know, God would do it this way because it says, you know, because, you know, because of the whole Thomas thing, you know, blessed are those who, are, who, who believe and have not seen. Yes, that's true. But remember this, Jesus did not condemn Thomas for his unbelief. Right. And, and, and he said so, he makes the strongest statement in all the gospel, my Lord and my God. That's, it it that's just was exactly so powerful, right. so powerful. Well, Russ, you know, uh, yeah. you've told us so much about, uh, uh, and, and again, uh, what's exciting is that you're going to be at Marytown in Libertyville on April 15th at 10 a.m., and of course people can re uh, register online at marytown.com uh, or call 847-367-7800, extension 225, to register for this event. Uh, can I ask you, Russ, uh, you, you've told us so many wonderful things uh what would you say to people who are listening saying, well, 
Uh, I've heard so many wonderful things about the Shroud, and Russ has told me a lot. Uh, why would I want to come to the presentation? Can you tell us wh what would be so exciting to come to your presentation on April 15th at Marytown? Well, I can just tell you that, that coming to a Shroud encounter is a, is a true experience. And we're going to have 200 images on the on the on the big screen, and it's it's it, uh, another name for the presentation is CSI Jerusalem, the case of the missing body. And so this is a it's a phenomenal detective story. It is it is a, it is a, it is a true experience, and I think the app and the and the and the conclusion will just have you absolutely exhilarated. And um, so I I can. I can tell you that you will learn far more in this shot encounter than you will, you know, watching any documentary that you've ever seen on TV. And I've been, I've been part of this, I've been part of uh, several of those documentaries, but this is so much more comprehensive, but it's, but it's fast moving, fast paced. You'll be on the edge of your seat almost the whole time. And, and the other exciting thing is that with this presentation on April 15th at uh, Marytown at 10 a.m., there will be on display a lifelike replica of the shroud itself. Uh, I know there's a multi-panel uh, display uh, all about the shroud of Turin, but this lifelike replica um, taken uh, from the Kodak uh, original photographs of the shroud is going to be something very, very exciting. Oh yeah, it's it's it's, it's wonderful to see it close up and and you know here you're standing you know three feet away from it and can really see all of the details. It's it's it's, it's, it's really phenomenal. Thank you, Russ. That's about all the time we have left for today's show. You've been listening to Spotlight on WSFI Catholic Radio.